Father, right now we want to thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the blessings that you've poured into our lives this past week. And we thank you in advance for the blessings that you're going to continue to pour out into our lives this week. Now, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives as we spend a few moments in your word. We pray that that Jesus Christ would be glorified and that our lives would be changed, that we would not sit here uh, and listen to your word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and and then walk away unchanged. Uh, Father, we pray that each of us would be changed, that we would be uh, sensitive to the Spirit as he leads and guides. Father, we pray for that one maybe who needs to know Jesus as Savior. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would trust Jesus to come into their life to be Savior and to become Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Vintage Christianity is what we're talking about. We are in the book of James, and today we're talking about the fact that it's not about me. Oh, I like it when it's about me, don't you? But it's not about me. And in that word me, you can put your own name if you need to. Our little grandson Mason, um, is he's, he's got a pretty good vocabulary, but he's just figured out the word me. Because he always just talked in the... In the in the third per or the second person about himself, so it was always Mason, Mason, Mason. Mason wants this, Mason wants that. Now it's me. I want that. So he's finally figured that part out. So if you're still having trouble with me, put your own name in there, okay? Because it's not about you either. It's not about me, and it's not about you. But as we get started, we're in James chapter four today. We're looking at the second half of chapter four, verses eleven through seventeen, and. Uh, I want us to. I want to kind of look at a fun fact with you, um, a little little quiz, if you will. I want you to guess which sin in the Old Testament. Den- it, excuse me, I say this right. I want you to guess which sin the Old Testament denounces more than any other sin. What is the one sin that is denounced more often in the Old Testament? And so I'll give you just a second, uh, and I'll let, you, I'll let you make a couple of guesses, if you would. All right? So what is that one sin that the Old Testament says, don't do it? This is sin. Don't do it. What do you think? Any ideas? Yeah. Idol worship. That would be a good guess. And, but it's not it. Okay. Gossiping. Okay, I want you to hold on to that one because you're like halfway there. Okay? That's half of it. Pride is not, that's not it. Close. Anybody want to guess like murder? No, that wouldn't be it. How about, okay. Taking the name of God in vain. You'd think that would be it, but that's not it either. How about adultery? Think that God would be concerned about that? Yeah, but that's not it either. Um, how about well, we could do the we could do the big five, the bad, the Baptist five, the Baptist big five. I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or run around with girls that do. But it's not those either. We'll go. 
yeah, that was, we got the idol and we got that, that's, that's close, but it's not either one of those. It is, and, and Connie got it kind of half right because it, it's kind of connected with that. It is slander. Slander. More times, the Old Testament says, don't slander, or talks against the sin of slander than any of those other biggies that we would normally think about. It, it, just, it just is amazing that that happens. And, um, and so it has more to say about this sin than any other. Uh, I gave you a few, just a few verses there from the Old Testament. Uh, and, and you might just underline the word slander or gossip because gossip is a form of slander. Okay, so, so when you read gossip, understand that we're, we're talking about slander at the same time. Leviticus 19.16. Do not go about spreading slander, you might underline that, among your people. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 101.5, he says, Whoever slanders, underline that, his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Solomon, David, uh, David's son, the wisest man who ever lived, a gossip, underline that, goes around telling secrets. So don't hang around with chatterers. I use that in the New Living Translation there because I love that. Don't hang around with chatterers. And, uh, you know, and, and there's a difference between somebody who just is a good, is a good conversation in somebody who's a gossip and, and uh, who just chatters to, to gossip. And so we need to do that. Now, now there, are, there are, by the way, just about as many examples in the New Testament as well. God doesn't change. And so when we come to the New Testament, we find that he continues to say, don't slander. 1 Peter 2.1 uh, tells us that we need to rid our it says rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Colossians three eight says put aside malice, uh, excuse me, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Ephesians four thirty one says get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Is it, is it clear to you that the Bible uh, takes this subject uh, very clearly and, and leaves very little room for doubt? When God says, this is what I don't want you to do, you don't have to go home and think, gee, I wonder if God really doesn't want me to do it. Because over and over and over and over and over again, he says, don't do this. There's not a lot of other ways that you can interpret that, you know. And we try to we try to get some wiggle room in there, but he just keeps he just keeps coming back to that same idea: don't slander, don't slander, don't gossip, don't slander, don't slander, don't slander. That's what he that's why he says those things. And so, why is it if God is so against it that so many of us as Christians tolerate it? Why do we think that we can get away with it? Why do, we, why do we tolerate having that sin as a part of our lives like it's no big deal? I don't hate anybody. I don't, I don't, have, I don't, I don't want to kill somebody. I don't wanna, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. So I must be okay. And, and somehow we want to make slander something that is not such a big deal. Um, in chapter 1... James addressed here in the book of James the sins of the tongue. In chapter, in chapter uh, 3, he addressed it again. And now in chapter 4, guess what? He comes back to it again. 
a third time in these three short chapters, these four short chapters, he is going to address the sins of the tongue. And the question is, are we going to get the message? Are we going to pay attention? Are we going to say, okay, James, I hear you. I I understand what God wants. Uh, God expects believers to take very seriously what they say, what tone they use. And, And he won't tolerate slander, gossip, and evil conversation, whether we think they're okay or not, or whether we even think we're doing it or not isn't really the relevant issue. God says, just don't. So I want to share with you today three practices that lead to a lifestyle of humility. Um, So let's look at that three ways that, that God says, these are, or James says, these are ways that you can avoid slander in your life and speaking with slander. The first one is don't judge other people. He says, if you're not, if you're going to have a lifestyle of slander, then you cannot judge other people. And in fact, he's going to ask a question, and it's going to be a very important question. And it's this, who am I to judge my neighbor? If I'm not to judge other people, then I really have to begin with that, that premise that, that I don't have anything in me that should allow me to do that. So who am I to judge my neighbor? Ephesians, uh, excuse me, um, there's this, this fundamental principle of Christianity, uh, and, it, and it's really a key part of the Christian life, um, because I, I, I know and you know Christians, believers, who would never at least seriously consider um, murder, uh, they would never consider sexual sin, um, they would never think of stealing anything from their company, um, they're not going to take a a, a, you know, a paper clip or a, or a pen that that they don't that they don't that they don't own that belongs to their employer. Yet they don't bat an eye about bad mouthing somebody that they don't like, and just and just tearing them down to other people. And and they have their ways of justifying that. See if any of these resonate with you. Well, this person is an error, and I need to expose their error. I'm the error police, and so I'm going to expose their error. Or this person, uh, this person is in sin, and I need to expose their sin. I'm the sin police. Or this person did something wrong to me, and I need to let everybody know about it. And therefore, it's okay if I speak out against them because, because I'm right and they're wrong. If someone is in sin, the Bible gives us guidelines on how to deal with that. And it never, I want you to get this, it never, never includes broadcasting that sin to the world. You deal with it one-on-one, and if that doesn't resolve the problem, you bring some people who are spiritual in nature along with you to help bring about a resolution to the issue. But you never have permission just to speak out against a brother or sister in Christ. You follow the biblical example and guidelines or you keep your mouth shut. You don't have a right to slander somebody. That's what the Bible calls slander. 
And so you don't have the right to do that. In James 4, this is how he says it. In verse 11, he says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. So I want you to see there's a connection here uh, that James is making. He's speaking, he says speaking against somebody is judging uh, and, and judging someone uh, are, are closely related to each other. And, and we know that we're not to judge one another. So Jesus said it very plainly. He said in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or what? You too will be judged. On the same basis you judge somebody else, you're going to be judged. So he says, you just don't judge. And so when you say something bad about somebody, you're judging that person according to James. And, 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 and he says um, that, that he who speaks against or judges another speaks against the law and judges the law. He goes on to, he goes on to say, in, in picking up verse 11 again in verse 12, when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's the key verse in this passage, by the way. Verse 12. It's a a good phrase to commit to memory. Who am I to judge my neighbor? Or who are you to judge your neighbor, as, as James said it? That, that phrase, who am I to judge my neighbor, reveals that perspective each of us should have about ourselves. Who am I to do that? Um, you know, I, I've been in churches where I've had people come up and tell me in so many words that they see themselves as the watchdog of the church. Uh, they see it their job to keep an eye on everybody else. And, and so they do that. They go around thinking they're just the, they're the, they're the patrolmen, they're the policemen of the church. And if they see someone conducting um, their ministry in a way that they don't like, for example, uh, they have no problem with, um, with, with saying something about that. Or if someone preaches, if the pastor preaches something they don't agree with, or, or they believe it's their job to, to sound an alarm, or, or the, the problem, as James indicates in verse 11, is that they, that they see themselves at, that, that they aren't doers of the law. They're themselves. They're not doing the law. Uh, they're just trying uh, to be everyone else's judge, and they're trying. They're trying to establish themselves as the final authority on the law of God. But they don't practice the law of God, according to James. Um, and it happens in just about every church. I don't think I know a pastor that doesn't have that same issue in their church. It doesn't even matter what denomination it is. It just, it just is there. Uh, one of the members comes in and says, you know, I don't like the way the youth ministry is being run, and I think we ought to change it. And, 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 or they'll say, um, you know, I don't, I don't like um, the fact that we're paying the youth minister, and I, don't think, we should, I think we should take their salary away from them. And, and all those kinds of things. And, and what they never say is... Uh, 
um, I want to I want to step up and help the youth minister. I want to step up and help in that ministry. They just they just want to they just want to judge. And and James challenges us with that question: Who are you to judge your neighbor? And so there's a principle that James is teaching at this in, at this point in this passage. And and it's it is simply this: If we're going to practice this principle, make it a habit in our lives, then we're going to lose interest in judging other people. And the principle is this, practice the principle of humility. It is the principle of humility. Of all the, and we'll talk about some more about these principles that James has been given to us, but this is by far, I think, the hardest one. Uh, but ultimately, the closer I get to God, the more I realize how far I have to go in order to, to be truly like Jesus Christ. Have you figured that out in your life? That if you're growing in your walk with Jesus, you're, you're growing in your walk in the Lord, and, you're, and you have a discipleship life that is, that is vibrant, every day you come away saying, wow, i got so much more to do. God is so different than I am. As I, the more I get to know Him, the more I love Him, and the more I realize how inadequate I am, and I just want to be closer to Him. But, but quite frankly, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't have the luxury of standing in condemnation of other people because I look at who God is and I look at who I am, and I realize I don't have, I don't have the basis to be able to judge anybody else. I don't have a, a basis to to condemn them because I have. Too much to do taking care of my own life. And, and, and you probably find that true in your life too, I would suspect. That if you're growing in the Lord, you're saying, man, i got to focus on my life. i gotta, I got to focus on, on, the, on the... I have struggles to, to stay right with God. And, and when I read James chapter 4, I realize that James is talking to me. And, and hopefully we all realize he's talking to all of us. In James, here in James chapter 4. Spiritual pride, and, and ladies, I think you said pride, uh, and, and it's not that that's not an important sin. I mean, it's a, it, it, is a, it is very, very serious. And spiritual pride is a dangerous thing in all of our lives. And, um, and, and what, it, what it does is it, 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 uh, it causes us to ignore things in our own life that need to be improved and causes us instead to focus on what's wrong in everybody else's life. So if, I, if I'm demonstrating spiritual pride, I'm, I'm looking at, at, uh, at maybe at, at Dave and I'm saying, Dave, man, you really got to change. You're, you're, you're really messing up your life. And, and I'm not looking at anything going on in my life. I, it's a lot easier for me to focus on Dave's problems because then I don't have to change anything. I don't have to do anything different. I can, or I, or I can just then I can go over to Ted and I can say, Ted, man, you, can, you know Dave, you know what he's been doing? What a crud he is! Oh, and by the way, Ted, there's stuff in your life you got to change, bud. And Dave, do you know Ted over there? Yeah, man, he's a crud. You know what he said about you? Yeah, and, and so you see how that goes. And never do I get in that situation. Now, I'm not a part of that. It's never about me. It's always, it's about Ted and Dave now. And they're thinking, how do we get in this situation? I liked Ted. Ted liked me. And Pastor Terrell came along and messed it all up. And I'm thinking, ah, boy, I did a good job. Because now I get to point out both of their sins 
And I never had to deal with any of mine. And that's what James is talking about. James is saying, that's the danger of spiritual pride. That's the danger of saying, I, I have arrived to the point that I can judge you. And I don't even have to think about my spiritual life anymore because I've got it down. I've nailed it. And I don't have anything to learn. I don't have anything to grow. I'm, I'm fine. We often we use that word pride to describe an attitude. But there's another word for it. There's another word for spiritual pride, and it's arrogance. It is arrogance. Arrogance is that attitude that says, I'm above it all. I'm better than anyone else, and my opinion is more important than your opinion. And the rules don't apply to me. They only apply to you. And James says, that's a problem. And that's the attitude that he's attacking in this passage. So he said, if you don't want to slander, if you want to practice a lifestyle of humility, then you don't judge other people. Secondly, he says, keep God in the center of your plans. If you don't want to slander other people, if you want to have a lifestyle that is characterized by humility, then you better, you better park God right in the center of your plans. Because, he's going to tell us, life is just a vapor. Life is just a vapor. So keep him in the center of your plans. Because life is just a vapor. You might want to write that in. Notice verses 13 through 16. Now, I use this, this passage a lot. Uh, when I'm when I'm doing um, uh, over the years, I've, I've preached on this a lot of times in 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 funeral sermons uh, because a lot of people are sitting there thinking, "Man, we thought we had a long time together, and now Dad's gone, or Mom's gone, or my husband or my wife is gone, and and life is just a vapor." But a lot of times, as Christians, even though we're in good health and we don't expect that anybody in our family is going to die, um, he says, you got to understand that if you don't have God in the center of your plans, you don't have any guarantees about tomorrow. So he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So life is just a vapor. So what's he saying here? Is James telling us that it is wrong for a Christian to make plans for their future? Is it wrong for a Christian to engage in business or to, or to, um, to go to work or to expect to make a profit or to, to, to make a living? And, uh, and, you know, and if, you're, if you're in business and, and, and you, know, you have to plan in advance uh, and you better expect to make a profit or you're not going to be in business very long. And, and that's not what he's saying. That's not the problem. James is speaking against that arrogant attitude that, that says, I am the master of my universe. I am the one who is the captain of my, of my universe, of my destiny. And I'll make all the plans. And I'll do them, and I don't need to talk to God about it. 
I don't need to include God in my decision making. I don't need to do that because look at who I am. Look, I got it together. I, I'm a spiritual person, and I'm close. To, I, I'm, I'm better. I'm closer to God than probably anybody else in the church, and so I can, I can, I can make these kinds of plans and not include God. And, and James says that's a major problem. You got to be careful when you start thinking you don't need God's help along the way. And, and it's easy to convince yourself that you're the most important person, not just in church or not just in your family, but, I mean, there's people who have convinced themselves that they're the most important person on the face of the earth. Uh, Charles de Gaulle once was quoted as saying, when I want to know what France thinks, the country of France, when I want to know what the country of France thinks, I'll ask myself. That's pretty arrogant. George Hegel said, I may say with Christ that not only do I teach the truth, but that I am myself truth. And then you got to love one of our former presidents, Woodrow Wilson. He came along and he was trying to, he was, he was getting, a, he was setting up the, the, the League of Nations, this proposal for the League of Nations, and he was driving it. And uh, in the early 20th century, and this is what he said. This is our president this at the time. Why has Jesus Christ so far not succeeded in inducing the world to follow his teachings in matters of world peace? Is it because he taught the ideal without devising any practical means of attaining it? That is why I am proposing a practical scheme to carry out his aims. Man, aren't we lucky that Woodrow Wilson came along? Jesus wasn't capable of giving us anything practical, but man, you got me as president, I'll take care of that. And I'll fill in the blanks that Jesus couldn't. Not even that he wouldn't, but that he couldn't. He was a lot like the rooster who thought the sun had risen to hear him crow. And, um, and sometimes we behave as if we think the world exists to hear us crow. And James puts it into perspective for us. Notice what he says in verse 14. Again, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And you've, you've heard me preach over and over these past four years how much God loves you and how important you are to him. And, and that he has, that your life can have meaning and purpose for all of eternity. And that is true. And, and these passages don't diminish that truth. But we also have to keep in perspective that without God, we are nothing. Without him, we are literally nothing. And without God, our lives are insignificant. So in our arrogance, we sometimes forget that. And we get the idea that the world revolves around us. And James challenges us to remember that God is the center of the universe, not us. It's not me. It's not you. And not my problems and not your problems. And not my goals and not your goals. And not my plans and not your plans. His will is all that really matters. He is the center of everything. And our purpose is to follow his plans for our lives, not our own. And so, he says, not only do we not judge other people, 
But he said, we better keep God in the center of our plans. And that's why we need to adopt the, the principle of humility. Again, he's, he's, he's hammering on that idea. We have to be humble. We have to live a humble lifestyle. And so he says, adopt the principle of humility. Humility causes us to remind ourselves that I'm not the center of everything. God is the center of everything. And then he finishes this chapter by saying, uh, thirdly, that we should never ignore an opportunity to do good to someone else. Never ignore an opportunity to do good to somebody else. Um, and, And to put that succinctly, he's saying, in essence, it is wrong to not do right. It's wrong when I don't do what's right, when I have the opportunity to do what is right. And so he, he, can, he challenges us here at the end of this chapter. Um, he's challenging our arrogance one more time. He says in verse 17, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does it, doesn't do it, what? Sins. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And if you've grown up up in church like I have, you've probably heard all of your life about the sins of omission and the sins of commission. And and the sin of the sin of 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 commission of commission is a sin that you perform outright: lying, stealing, cheating. You know, so on, those kinds of things. But the sin of omission, or the sins of omission, are the sins of, of knowing the right thing to do and doing nothing. Just not doing anything. Not taking action when you should. And usually that involves helping other people. It involves helping somebody who needs our help. And you have the opportunity and the ability to do it and you just choose not to. And so you, 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 you omit doing the right thing. Uh, you have the opportunity to give to somebody in need, but you don't. You have the opportunity to speak a word of encouragement to somebody who's discouraged, but you don't. You don't pick up the phone, you don't go over and talk to them, whatever it is. And you have the opportunity maybe to invest some time in a ministry activity, but you sit back in your easy chair and you just intentionally turn on the TV and say, not today. And, and so you don't get involved. You don't, you don't engage. And, and it's really the sin of not taking action. Whatever that action is that God is prompting you to do that is for good, and you say, no, I am not going to do that. And it's always driven by an attitude that says, I'm too important to be bothered with this. My time's too valuable, and my, or my money belongs to me, or, or you, you, know, you can just leave me out of this one. I don't need to be involved with with it. And it's that attitude that says, I don't, want to, I don't want to get my hands dirty or whatever it might be. And so the sin of omission is another expression, really, of pride and arrogance. And they are the exact opposite. They're the polar opposites of humility. And so what are we to do? James would tell us that we are to embrace the principle of humility. To embrace the principle of humility. Now I want you to notice that I've used three different words here because James kind of kind of alludes to these. He, he kind of he, he he kind of intensifies as we go through these verses. He says, "I want you to practice the the principle of humility." And he's taught about uh, he's he's talking about that in that early section of of what we've been reading today in in in, in verses eleven and twelve and thirteen. He's he's talking about. 
about humility and practicing it. But, you know, he's talked about principles all through the book of James. And, and I, I forget how many we're up to now, but he's talked about endurance. He's talked about the principle of a dependence, of favor, of, of uh, discretion, of reflecting on our lives, uh, of the influence that we have, of... of um, not being partial, he talks about practice impartiality. He's talked about um, he's talked about being authentic. He's talked about uh, being uh, practicing reciprocity um, of self control of um, of wisdom and um, and of and of renewal last week. And you know, all of those are are, are challenging to us and they're hard. But you know what? None of them touch us at our core like humility does. I can practice all of those, and it doesn't change me an awful lot. But when I put on humility, it changes everything. It changes everything about me, and it changes everything about you. Because it changes the way that I look at you, and that you look at other people. It changes the way that we address each other changes the way we talk to one another. It changes the way that we interact with each other, the way that we live together, the way that we love one another. And it says to me, Terrell, it's not about you. And I think, oh, I want it to be about me, though, God. My old nature always wants it to be about me, and your old nature always wants it to be about you. And you can say, no, no, it doesn't. Yes, yes, it does. It does. That's why every preschool or every baby, one of the first, they learn, mommy, daddy, and mine. And no, it wants to be about me. It wants to be about mine. And so... I say, okay, I gotta practice it, but it's so hard to practice it. So, so I, I, I have to not judge other people. How do I? Okay, I'll start trying to practice that, and I'm struggling with it, and I'm struggling with it, and and as I'm struggling with that, James comes along and he says, oh, by the way, let's let's move past just trying to practice this one, Terrell. Let's get a little more. Let's get a little more real here. I want you to keep God at the center of your lives. And I think, oh man, now I gotta. It's it's really about me now. It's about it's it's not about me. I mean, it's about God. It's about God being the center of everything and 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 so and so now I'm I'm called on at this point not just to practice it but but now I need to adopt that principle I mean there's there's a bunch of kids in the world and I can treat them nice I can send money to kids in Sudan, and I can send money to kids on the border in, in, in Texas and down in Murrieta and, 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 and you know, in Southern California and all those kinds of things. And I can, I can be nice to kids. But you know what? When I make a decision to adopt them, what have I done? I've said, all right, you're not just some kid on the street anymore. You're going to be part of my family. You're part of me. And so I can practice humility and sort of be good at it, but boy, when I say, all right, I'm going to adopt humility, what happens? It becomes part of my family. We take care of our family, don't we? 
And so I need to feed humility. I need to feed that idea that, that God is the center of who I am and not me. And then he finishes. And he says, not only am I to not judge others, and not only am I to to make sure that God is the center of my plans, but now I am never to ignore doing good when I have that opportunity of doing that. And, And he says, now, in essence, I want you to embrace all of that. I want you to embrace that idea that that the world that you live in is never going to be about you. That it's always going to be about somebody else. It's going to be about God first, and it's going to be about other people second. And Jesus came along and he said, you want to know what the law is? Love God and love your neighbor. You adopt them and you embrace them. You embrace somebody. You're not holding them at arm's length, are you? You're hugging them tight to yourself. And when I embrace humility, I'm not, I'm not saying, well, that's something I do on Sunday mornings when I'm at church. It's something I do 24-7 wherever I'm at. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And James says it's all about attitude. It's about, it's about saying no to pride and arrogance. It's about saying yes to humility. Putting it on, practicing it. Making it a part of you as if you were adopting a child. And it's that child you're adopting into your life. And then you embrace it for all your worth and you don't let it go. You just hold on to it as tightly as you can for the rest of your life. Because when that happens... It changes the way you speak. God takes that seriously. Don't slander. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't slander. Don't slander. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that when I have learned to practice humility by adopting it and embracing it into my life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. That you are God who is patient with us. Because sometimes we're slow to learn. Sometimes we're, we're just too arrogant to want to change. To want to learn. And we need your forgiveness in those times and in those areas. Thank you that you speak into our hearts and into our lives. Today, Father, may be a day that it's time to begin to practice humility. Maybe to even take it a step further and, 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 and saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to adopt humility as my child. I'm going to pour myself into that relationship with humility so that it becomes a part, a natural extension of who I am. Or it is time to embrace that humility that says, I'm never going to let go of it. With your power and your help, God, I'm going to hold on to humility for as long as you leave me here on this earth. Help us to realize that it is not about me. 
It never was, and it never will be. The only time it was about us was when Jesus came to the cross and in humility became our sin and died in our place. And that's done. It's a, it's a done deal. Our sins are forgiven. We have the penalty removed and we have a home in heaven that is secure. And now we need to move on in that walk and make it about others. To make it about you, God, and others. This morning as the piano continues to play, if God's speaking to you, why not take a moment and talk to him? Say, God, where have I messed up in this humility thing? Have I let pride and arrogance stand in the way of who you are and what you want to do in my life? Maybe you need to know Jesus as your Savior and you want to just step up and say, Pastor Terrell, quietness of this moment, I need to know who Jesus is and I want him to be my Savior. Father, thank you again for hearing us and responding to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul said it.